Hello, everyone, and welcome to what is going to be a fascinating hour. Um, we're going to talk today about the Library of Congress and introduce our, the Library of Congress to educators. My name is Kathy McGuigan, and I work in the Education Outreach Department at the Library of Congress, and that means I work with teachers throughout the country on developing uh, and delivering professional development programs. Um, we do it on-site and online, and uh, we're thrilled to be working with National Writing Project um, on a five-part webinar series, and this is the first of five webinars. And this one will be focused on introducing ourselves to you. So thank you for joining us. We have two fabulous guests tonight. Um, Cheryl Letterly from the Library of Congress will be uh, demonstrating fabulous places where you can go to get some teaching ideas uh, and to share strategies. And we have Kelly with us, uh, and she is going to be sharing her experience of working with the Library of Congress and our professional development program. And she is also uh, active in National Writing Project, and she's going to talk about how she was able to take some of what we did in our program and merge it with what she has taken out of National Writing project. So without further ado, I am going to turn it over to Cheryl and she will introduce herself and, um, and start us off. Thank you so much, Kathy. Um, as Kathy said, I'm Cheryl Letterly and my job, much like Kathy's, is to work with educators um, from around the country. We, we do lots of different things. We publish content online. We do professional development online and live. And um, I very much look forward to beginning a conversation with you by showing you around a little bit about the Library of Congress as a whole and focusing pretty sharply on the ready-made teacher resources um, so that uh, you're aware of some quick shortcuts for places to grab and go. Um, Kelly will be here to, to talk about what her experience was using these materials after she attended one of our, uh, really our most intense long-term Summer Teacher Institute. It's a full week of immersion in the Library of Congress um, live on our site. So Kelly, I'm, I'm going to start with a tour of the teachers page and then back out just a little bit and show a couple of highlights from loc.gov. I've blocked out a chunk of time for you at the end of that, but if I come to something that gets you really excited, feel free to just interject because um, that's what this is about, is what does this look like in a classroom? Um, so that you know what lenses I bring, I was a high school English teacher for a decade, and then I, I taught it uh, as an adjunct at a couple of different community colleges for another, I don't know, five or six years. So um, I come at this as, a, as an English teacher and a writing instructor. The first stop I'd like to do is to orient you to where Kathy and I work. So I'm going to show you just one slide of a PowerPoint. And let me bring this up larger. Um, so what's coming up on your screen is uh, the Capitol building squarely in the center. You'll see the white wings and the white dome. 
And um, a little bit behind it to the left is the Supreme Court. I don't work there, but I think it's cool that it's right across the street from the Library of Congress. The Library of Congress Thomas Jefferson Building is behind the Capitol, slightly to the right. You'll, you'll see its distinctive green dome if you've seen any pictures of it. And inside that are, are treasures and books that's not the building Kathy and I work in. Uh, we work in a much more prosaic office building that's across the street and not in this picture. But if you were to come visit the Library of Congress, you would be here on Capitol Hill, and I would encourage you to do so if you ever get a chance. Here's just a little bit of fact about the Library of Congress. The Library of Congress has materials stored on more than 830 miles of bookshelves. We have books, of course, periodicals, of course. We also have recorded sound, including both music and um, a voice. We have oral histories. Um, I think some of the oldest ones we have were made with former slaves. Um, and then we have very recent ones in, for example, the Veterans History Project. The library has more than 160 million items um, that it stores on those miles and miles of bookshelves. And it that collection grows in a couple of different ways. Um, it receives about 15,000 items a day through copyright deposit, and of those, it adds about 12,000 items to the collection. Um, so it's vast, and it's growing, and parts of it are online and accessible to anybody anywhere with an internet connection. What you should be seeing on screen now is that dis long distance access point. Um, this is the library's homepage, loc.gov. I'll come back here and show you a couple of things, but I'm, for right now I'm scrolling down and I'm aiming for the link for teachers. So this will take us to loc.gov teachers. This is where Kathy and I work. A few highlights, I'm not going to click through everything um, that we have, but I do want to point out some highlights. Under the block, the color blocks across the top, you'll see the Teaching with the Library of Congress blog. I would encourage you, if this is of interest, to subscribe to this blog and we'll send it out to you. Uh, we publish usually a couple of times a week. It's a great way to keep up with current events. As you can see, we're doing another webinar coming soon called Books Go to War, um, bringing in one of the reference specialists to talk about American service editions of novels and other reading materials, but also um, other kinds of writing. For example, we have a teacher in residence. Her focus is on lower elementary, and she wrote about this gorgeous picture book, A Apple Pie. The good news is you don't need to wait for us to guess what it is that you want to read about. It is keyword searchable. You might see toward the upper left, I just typed in the search term multiple viewpoints. And it will give you a search result now that includes research, primary source analysis strategies,
multiple perspectives. Oh, I typed that wrong. I typed, I mistyped it. The problem with doing live web is you see all of my faults. Multiple perspectives. That's what I intended when I subbed in viewpoints. Gives you um, more than a dozen results looking at points of view in multiple formats, looking at historical and geographic thinking, um, thinking about selecting primary sources and so forth. Um, I like to show this one because it's a pretty good range of what the library has and does um, for teachers. <clears throat> we address multiple subject areas. Um, we have events live and online, and we publish materials that, that remain available for you. Can I jump in right here? Please do. So one of the things I love about using the resources is that it really helps the kids to get multiple perspectives. When we read a textbook, it feels sort of um, dry sometimes. And what the Library of Congress um, allows the kids to see is perspectives beyond the textbook. So we can corroborate based on what they're seeing with the, with the actual stuff of history. And, and so it just makes it come alive and to get those multiple perspectives is so important for them. And it gives them richer things to, to write about, richer things to talk about. So that's what I really love most about um, working with the, the materials. Are you back, Cheryl? Are you? I just muted myself. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that's what I just wanted to let you know that I love that part of the working with the materials. That's really a fantastic endorsement, Kelly. Thanks so much. Um, as a former English teacher, I think that's really valuable, but your more current experience really underscores that. Um, I'm going back to the teacher resources, and if you can't see it, somebody break in and, and let me know, Kathy or Kelly. Um, a couple of things I'd like you to be aware of. One is right now you're participating in professional development, and I'm going to use this left navigation and just show you the scope and range. Um, two things, I'm going down to the section that says learn with the Library of Congress. Um, <clears throat> one thing to know is we offer summer teacher institutes. This is actually last year's menu, so don't get too excited about these dates. They're, they're, they're from 2016. We'll update this page um, in the next probably couple of months. We usually aim to get this out around the first of the year. But we will be offering five weeks again of Summer Teacher Institutes. And as I said earlier, this is where we had our first extended touch point with Kelly. Um, and Kelly, if you want to interrupt here or jump in, I should say, and talk a, just a little bit about your experience, or if you want to wait till later, that's fine too. Oh, I can definitely jump in. Um, you know, being a writing project teacher um, changes your life. You know, you go through your summer institute and you learn so much and you learn so much about yourself and your teaching. Um, I didn't think it could ever be matched or equaled. 
Um, but going to the Library of Congress was probably the next best thing I've ever done as a teacher. That week-long institute is, um, it's, it's life-changing, especially as an English teacher. Um, I hadn't really thought about how I could bring in primary source documents. And so everything they give you um, is usable. You know, if I was in, in school, I could have used it the next day. Um, all of the tools are very teacher-friendly. They're obviously put together by teachers. Um, and so being there for that week is magical. You get to see things. I saw a map um, that George Washington sweated on. And I saw um, just just things that I didn't think I would ever see, the map where they planned D-Day. Um, the map room was amazing to me. I think that's the thing that most affected me, and I'm an English teacher. Um, so it's it, it really is life-changing to go there and to study with everybody from around the country and to get different perspectives. It's it just opens up your curriculum. It opens up your mind. It's, it's, it's a great experience. Thanks so much. That was, that was quite the advertisement, Kelly. Um, and again, the first way to learn about the Summer Teacher Institutes will be through the blog. We'll send that notice out. Um, back to the professional development page. The other thing I'd like to show you is our grid of webinars and workshops. And you can see um, we have a lot going on here. The top one is the current event, this Introducing Library of Congress with the National Writing Project. Um, next is Books Go to War, which we saw on the blog. Um, down at the bottom, there's a link to a webinar archives. And this, I think, is the real gold. We love to interact with teachers live. But we also know that busy schedules mean it just doesn't always work out. But if you want to get that content, we have a whole archive of recordings um, going back a couple of years, including an online conference that opens out to another whole large page. I won't, I won't dizzy you by clicking in there. I'll leave it at, there's a lot of content here that could be explored. Going back to the teacher's homepage, in addition to professional development and the blog, we also develop and publish classroom materials. And I'm going to click there um, in this left navigation. There's a whole host of different kinds of materials, including primary source sets, lesson plans, presentations, and activities, and so forth. Um, most of those your teachers, you'll know what to expect in those. The primary source sets are, are some of the best shortcuts um, around, though, and I do want to show you some of the features of that, of those. We have, I don't know, 35 or so of these on a whole range of topics. You can see it ranges from Abraham Lincoln to American authors to Civil War music and Civil War photographs, the Constitution, and so on. Um, we develop these with an eye toward meeting as many curricular needs as possible, trying to cover the K-12 spectrum and trying to hit as many curricular areas as possible. Um, they all follow the same general format. Uh, I like to show immigration just because it's one of my favorites and I have the controls today. Um, 
So they are simply what it sounds like. They are sets of primary sources selected from the library's on, online collection. We select them um, with, a, with a careful scrutiny to make sure they, um, all of these are rights-free, can be used without any kind of worry in your classroom or uh, publications in truth for the most part. Each one includes a link to the item itself online. So if I click on this immigrant map to North America, it comes up. If I click in the map, I can zoom in, I can move around, I can study detail, and I can really take a close-up look at this map. Kelly, you mentioned how much you like maps. And um, this, this is one example of how to get to them. Oops, went a little too far there. Can I say something real quick while you're looking for that? Please do. Um, as, you, as you're clicking through all of your resources in there, um, it's funny, I've been, I went in 2013 to the, um, to the Library of Congress to study and I've forgotten where so many of the resources that I use every day in my classroom um, now came from. So as you're clicking through the picture of Zora Neale Hurston, I use that picture, um, the pictures of the Dust Bowl, the whole set, I use it when I teach Grapes of Wrath. And so I kind of forgot that that's where I got those from. Um, they've just become such a necessary part of how I teach everything now. There's always primary sources just kind of pushed in whenever I'm teaching a piece of literature. And so it makes it really easy to find the things I need. And it always um, brings me back to the Library of Congress because I know that's where I go to get my primary source documents. And then my students also participate in History Day. Uh, with I have an integrated class with the, with the US history teacher. And we set them free on the Library of Congress website and, and show them kind of how to navigate through themselves. So they're doing a lot of the, the research within there too. So that's another way to use it is to have your kids doing the research within it. So it just makes it very user-friendly. Um, but it's just funny to see all the, the, the pieces that you're going through because they're so every day in my classroom. Kelly, you have just made my day with that statement. Um, I would love to have these so every day in classrooms that um, every teacher in America forgets where they came from. Um, and I don't think I'm even exaggerating with that. Um, so just scrolling through this, lest you think we focus on maps exclusively. There are maps, but there are also, you can see photographs. Um, the box to the left in the top row now that's titled Emigrants Landing at Ellis Island is in fact a moving picture made by Thomas Edison. Um, so we, wherever possible, we include as many for formats as we can, um, including here kind of in the center of this, of the row that's at the top now, the Americanese wall is a political cartoon that's great for looking at symbols, talking about the conversations. Um, we also have, as you can see, um, these census figures presented both in a map and then graphically. Um, so we try, as I say, to get as many formats as we have that make sense for the topic. Every one of these, in addition to the primary sources, has a teacher's guide. Let's see if this PDF will open and display. And the teacher's guides, again, follow the same format, a brief historical background. And we keep these to about 750 
words or fewer because to read more than that. So it's highlights. It's not a comprehensive look at the topic, but you can get that anywhere. It's an insight into what we were able to think about when we were compiling the set, because with millions of items to choose from, um, even if you narrow the topic a bit, you still have probably thousands. And so we have to make some choices. So the, the background tells gives you some insights into what we were thinking about. Then some quick suggestions for teachers. What might a classroom teacher do with these items? I'm not going to pause and read any of these. You can come back and, and browse this on your own. A link to additional resources. And then every set concludes, every, every teacher's guide concludes with citations for the primary sources because we think that's good scholarship and we like to model it. Um, a selection of these are also available. You can see right above the gray bar, student discovery set. That's a, a packaged as a free ebook available on iBooks. It's the same content. That particular technology allows um, some embedded tools that can facilitate the analysis. Um, you can do the same kind of analysis. I'm clicking on the link that says Analysis Tool and Guides. And this will take you to a menu of teacher's guides and a primary source analysis tool. And um, I'm not going to go too deep into this because, Kelly, I'm sure you'll, you'll talk at least a little bit about this when I stop doing my web tour and let you do some, some talking. Those are the highlights of the teacher's page. Um, it's obviously not everything, but it's a, it's a good starting place for you. I want to back out and show you just a couple of tricks with the Library of Congress, and then make sure that Kelly gets a, t a chance to talk and that anybody listening in who has questions has plenty of time to get them answered. So I'm back at the Library of Congress homepage, loc.gov. Um, you'll see across the top, there's a search box. It's keyword searchable. There's also a dropdown. So if you know you're looking for a particular kind of material, say photos, prints, and drawings, say Cleveland, just because I grew up near Cleveland, Ohio. Here's the thing, because I didn't say Cleveland, Ohio, I get lots of different kinds of Cleveland, including Grover and then Cleveland, Ohio. So obviously the search result is only as good as the search term. The good news is I can use these tools over to the left and narrow it. So if I know I'm looking for Cleveland, Ohio, with a click, I can have only those items display. If I don't like the list view, with another click, I can change the display so that I have a gallery grid showing instead. The main advantage of, to that is I can see more items with relatively less scrolling. The search pretty much functions as one would expect, so I don't think I need to spend a lot more time on that. Um, what I would like to show you are two things that are not included in that search box. One is ooh, 
the digital collections. Now, you know what? I'm going to use the search box. One is a newspaper collection called Chronicling America. Why not just make this easy for you? So the top result in the search is the collection Chronicling America. This is a newspaper database. Kelly, I hope you've discovered this. I, I think we were, I know it was around when you were um, at the Summer Teacher Institute, and I hope we were using it. Um, it's more than 11 million pages um, representing most of the states. I'm, I'm not good with numbers, so I'm going to say at least 45 of the states are represented in this database. It's not competing with subscription databases. Um, it's really filling in some gaps. Um, putting online some newspapers that were previously only available on, for example, microfilm or microfiche, um, which is a pretty tedious way to, to find information. It's fully keyword searchable using this search box. Kelly, are you j jumping in again? Yeah, I just wanted to say um, one of the things I did with the newspapers, because it was there when I went, was I found the original report of um, when Sojourner Truth stood up and spoke and the original report of her actually speaking. So that was kind of really cool to find the original, the newspaper account that said, here was this woman and here's what she said, um, to hear you know, the, the different um, reports of that, how the words came out. It was just, it was fascinating to see it originally in print. So I've only used that a couple times, but um, it, it was neat to see the, the newspaper source and not just hear about it or read about it in the textbook. Oh, thank you again for that, that Kelly. Um, newspapers are so very of a particular time and place that, that it really does bring it alive. Um, it functions through a keyword search function, and I'm, I'm not going to take the time to demonstrate it. I'll just point out a couple of things. You can narrow the date range, which is really helpful if you're searching newspapers. If you know you want something from your particular state, Kelly mentioned for for example, National History Day, and I know that making local connections can be really important. So Kelly might want to search only California, and with a click, um, her students can do that. So it has lots of search functions. Even more, I've clicked on the center tab for advanced search, and you can see you can drill down to a particular newspaper if you know the name of one. Um, I will point out here, since I'm on this page, that there's the, there are multiple languages represented here. And so um, if you have multilingual students or are working with a, a world languages teacher, um, this might be a way to get some, some cross-curricular possibilities going. The one thing that I want to make sure you see, and if you've drifted away because it might be the end of a long day for you, and I understand how that is, um, I'd invite you to come back for a moment because what I'm doing is a terrific time saver here in Chronicling America. I'm in the left navigation. Third bullet down says recommended topics. Let's go in by subject category. Um, these are topics pages built and maintained by the folks who work every day with these newspapers. That's in there. It's not an exhaustive list by any means, but it's some very popular, popular
for example, um, the serious things like Andrew Carnegie and Clara Barton, something that sounds a little more frivolous. I don't know, dollar prints, I have not at page. Uh, motorcycle, arts education, culture, in Greenwich Village. So this is Kathy. Um, Cheryl, I think we're having some technical difficulties uh, with your uh, your sound. Um, so, uh, but I think you might have just come back on. Go ahead. Okay. So give me one second. I'm going to pick up where Cheryl uh, left off. Cheryl, are you there? Okay. Just give me one second. Okay. Okay. So you should be able to see the um, Chronicling America. Just want to make sure that you can see that. Um, Kelly, if you would just let me know that you can see that, you can come on mic and let me know. Yes, I can see it. All right, terrific. So Cheryl yes. was in the recommended topics, um, and she looked at that by subject category, and I'm going to go back to that. And again, she was listing out um, a number of the subjects that are in here. And really, this is a place where you can grab and go um, and be able to get to materials rather quickly um, and uh, be able to cut out the, the, the search um, on your own. And again, there's a wide variety of different topics. And for those who are doing National History Day, um, there is a category in, for uh, using Chronicling America. So it's a great resource um, no matter uh, what kind of work your students are working on. So I'm going to go back to the home page. And um, if Cheryl can hear me at any point, Cheryl, when you want to uh, grab the microphone, you can go ahead and let me know. but I do not think that she is with us. Okay, so I am going to uh, show you another area of interest for uh, teachers. Um, and I'm actually gonna type in the URL, which is uh, the World Digital Library, and that's wdl.org. Um, and this is a project of national libraries from around the world. Uh, and the idea is to take what was um, what the Library of Congress had been doing uh, for you know since the early 90s and digitizing its materials. And this is a partnership 
um, with UNESCO and uh, it launched in 2009 and it works with uh, national libraries and university libraries from around the world um, and now there are over 15,000 items from these uh, from these institutions that are housed in one place um, and this project is actually housed at the Library of Congress but as I said it's a partnership between uh, UNESCO and uh, national libraries from around the world um, the one thing that I want to point out in the World Digital Library not only is the the number of items smaller but the materials themselves are uh, closely curated um, and I am I clicked on a, an image that is probably quite familiar their um, destitute pea picker um, in the World Digital Library the the items themselves um, are, uh, of course, of high resolution, but there is also uh, curatorial information around uh, the items. I also want to point out that the site is, uh, um, you can listen to the, the page, and the site itself is available um, in seven languages. So uh, English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, Russian, Chinese, and Arabic. Um, so as Cheryl had pointed out in the chronicling uh, newspapers that there are other languages represented. If you um, wanted to uh, uh, see this in Spanish, the entire site translates and you'll be able to uh, get all the information. The same with the audio portion of this. All of this material is um, hand translated, so it is not a Google translation. These are very high quality uh, translations. Um, but World Digital Library is a great place to go to get other resources. I'm gonna pause and see if Cheryl is back on. I am. Kathy, it sounds like you have uh, pretty much covered the rest of what I needed to say though, so thank you very much. I've, I've changed. You room. are welcome. I am going to um, uh, stop my screen share. And you go ahead and do your screen share. Um, I sure can. At this point, mostly, I want to uh, just invite Kelly to tell us if there's anything that she finds particularly valuable that we haven't talked about yet. Um, and I'm happy to, to fill in those gaps. But then I'd also, I also want to protect the time for Kelly to talk a little bit more um, about her experiences. So Kelly, I'm going to mute myself and just ask, what do you find valuable that we maybe haven't shown yet? Um, I'm trying to think of what you haven't shown. You, you, you uh, went pretty quickly through the, um, the teacher resource tools, and I have found those to be very, very helpful because um, when I teach my integrated class, there are certain days where we're all together. So we'll have 66 kids in one classroom library environment, and the, the tools allow us, once we taught the kids how to use them, how to observe, how to... Um, reflect on that observation like what are they thinking about that and then um, to question more to do further research once you teach the kids how to use those tools they really are self-sufficient so um, 
the first time we used it, I was really worried about whether or not the kids could do this on their own and they just could. And as soon as you give the kids pictures or things to listen to, like you said, you have a very um, diverse collection of, of songs and video and um, even music from, you know, the old records and things like that. You're giving kids things to interact with. It's almost like a museum experience for them. Um, they jump right into it. And so they don't need a lot of teacher right on top of them. And so um, that for me was one of the biggest things is, is just those tools that are provided and you learn about when you go for that week um, that really help the kids plan their writing and think about how to approach a document and things like that. Thanks, Kelly. Well, let me let me go back and um, show these then. So I jumped into the analysis tool, but let me walk you through again. So from loc.gov slash teachers, going down this left navigation, um, you can just go right to using primary sources, which is a not very exciting, but pretty clear about what it is um, heading. This is all the nuts and boltsy stuff, um, including tips on using primary sources, citing primary sources, um, English teacher with a library degree. I geek out over citations a bit. Um, we have models in Chicago format, MLA, and APA formats. Um, we're not trying to reproduce those three style manuals by any stretch. What we're trying to do is provide some models for the kinds of materials most often found on the library's website. Um, and then going back to this top navigation, the teacher's guides and analysis tool. Kelly talked about the analysis tool, about the process her students go through, um, and her own concerns about what her students would do when they were given these objects, um, because it gets to it's a pretty sophisticated process, very different from reading a textbook, I would say, um, to extract information from, say, a photograph or a map or um, a video, for example. And, and in history, um, my teaching partner always talks about how she wants them to be thinking like historians. And so these tools kind of allow them to do that. Um, they're, they're very much more active participants. And you know, with the new Common Core Standards, we, we make claims and then we provide evidence. And this kind of works as the perfect tool to do that with. Um, they can, they, you know, with textbooks, they're told what the information is. With this, they, you know, with these visual elements or with the listening, they have to make claims on their own, and then they have to back it up with the pieces of evidence they're looking at. So it's just a whole different way of thinking about um, source material that you get with those tools. And I know those tools, you said they're kind of boring to, to go through them, but I think as a teacher, that's the stuff that makes it so much easier for us is that they're all provided there, and we don't have to be reinventing the graphic organizers or, or thinking about, okay, what am I going to have a kid do with this picture once they have it in front of them? So those tools are very, very helpful. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Kelly. Um, I just meant by not exciting, it's not the first place you click necessarily. Um, so let me show you, let me just show you some of the features of this primary source analysis tool. I'm using the online version because we are online. There's also a PDF if, if you want to give your students a print version, and sometimes that's just easier. But the online version has embedded question sets. So since Kelly's fond of maps, I'm going to use the format maps. 
And by clicking on, you can see this little question mark icon um, in each of the black bars with uh, big, the big verbs, observe, reflect, and question. And if I click on this, you can see a pop-up question. Describe what you see. And I can arrow through the prompts, what do you notice first, and so on. And those are embedded for the different big verbs. How do you think this map was made, for example? How does it compare to current maps of this place? So getting into the reflect gets into those deeper thinking skills. Observe is really just observing and describing what size and shape is the map, for example. Let me back out just a little bit and point out that as a teacher, you can get all of the prompts in one place here in the teacher's guides. I'm going to show you the maps one um, just to keep it consistent with what we've already looked at. I can make this just a little bit bigger. You'll see the same questions that we were just arrowing through using the icon. Describe what you see. What size and shape is the map? Uh, how does this map compare to current maps of this place? So it's the same content just in a, in a print-friendly format. I'm going to use this to continue. You'll notice it's the same layout as the student analysis guide, and that's intentional. You don't have time to be matching up your question set to the student's um, response set. I will point out a couple of other things. There is a further investigation section both in the teacher's guide and on the primary source analysis tool where students could record their thinking. Um, and that that's a nod toward the way we believe learning happens. Kelly talked about her teaching partner saying uh, to think like a historian. And I think it's not only historians, but lots of us um, think somewhat in circles and cycles. In fact, you might have noticed the circle near the top of the guide, and it's also on the analysis tool, um, that you, you take in information, you observe it, um, you reflect on it and try to make some meaning. Through that process, you'll generate questions, and it might not be even as linear as, as what I described. And then you'll start sifting those questions, and you'll decide which ones are worth researching further. Um, and, and the tool models that. There are also helps for you as teacher at the very bottom, and I'm going to make this quite a bit bigger because I do want to spend just a minute and allow you to get a good look at these. Some follow-up activity ideas. Because interacting with the object, having that museum experience, as Kelly called it, is not the end. Um, you might want something that you can collect and grade that shows a summary of their thinking, like have them write a brief description of the map in their own words, um, and so forth. The, the follow-up activity ideas vary according to the format, as do the question sets. So I'm just back on the page. You can see we have them for quite a few formats. And Kelly, I do want to make sure that you get plenty of time to talk about your work. So I'm going to pause and invite you to, to talk about 
whatever you think is important for our audience to hear about. So um, there's, there's two lessons that have really kind of grown um, since I went to the, the Library of Congress. And one of them is a, um, a text set that uh, we put together. We got a whole bunch of resources from a collection um, at the library. And then, we, and then we put more sources like just digging around the library um, on the March on Washington. And um, for my students, we gave them a, a, a lot of different documents to look at. And we had them, what we had them do was um, corroborate what they learned um, in the textbook with primary source documents is to see, did the textbooks really capture, we gave them five or six different textbooks to read. And did they capture the truth of the March on Washington? Is this what really happened? And and seeing um, the way different pictures were cropped, they could really look at different pictures where sometimes Martin Luther King was off to the side and sometimes he was in the middle. Um, um, we had read a piece by John Lewis, a current congressman, who said that um, he had some some different ideas than Martin Luther King did and, and, and other people had different ideas and how sometimes those were, um, you know, tampered down a little bit. And so hearing my students come to those observations on their own and then um, corroborating it with what they read in the textbooks was really fascinating. And for months after, that was probably one of the most successful lessons I ever did. Um, because for months after, it was when all my students were on Facebook. They're not anymore. Um, in 2013, they were. Um, they were they were posting articles about what John Lewis said now and, and you know, what these different um, men who were there, what, what they actually did. And there would be, um, you know, news programs and things like that. So we had this ongoing conversation for a long time following that. Um, the other, the other lesson, and, and we can kind of do that every year because it's a yearly event. So the different students are coming through and we can keep adding to that. So I really, that's been one very successful for me. And then the other one was a, um, a complete set of documents that I got at the library when I studied there was um, on women's suffrage, on, on the right to vote. And that one has taken off. I've done a ton of professional development with other teachers using that one. Um, the, it's just so uh, comprehensive. There's so many pieces to choose from. And I didn't, I don't think I realized how, I mean, I knew it was controversial for women to get the right to vote, but I don't think I realized how many different perspectives and what they thought it was going to do to the family and what they thought it was going to do to, you know, a society as a whole that allows women these rights. And so have my, having my students discover that, especially recently, has been very, very interesting. Um, and then the last thing I kind of wanted to point out was, um, you know, in this day and age where we're having this, these false news reports that we're hearing about, you know, where fake news is coming out, um, to, have these, to have the idea of corroboration, that there's not only one news source, that you have to dig in and find other things, I think is something that the Library of Congress has really been at the forefront of, um, is, is just that there's, there's so many different perspectives out in the world. There's so many different ways of, of seeing the same event um, depending on who you are and, and how you see things. And so I think um, that that idea of corroboration kept coming back to me at the Library of Congress. And, and I think that's what broadened my perspective the most, is to really have students, one of the things we have students do is to rewrite the section in their history book. Like what would they add if they were rewriting the textbook? That's a big writing assignment we, we have them do. Um, and, and it just gives the kids such a, a broader perspective on, on history, on current events, on how you do research, how you believe the news or not. 
Um, so, so in that way, you know, going through this whole experience and then getting this stuff into my classroom has absolutely changed how I teach because I can't do it now without looking at different perspectives and different pictures and different music. And it's just made it so much more rich. So. That's really fantastic testimony, Kelly. Thank you for that. Um, were there any bumps that you had to get over? I mean, you know, you've given us these ringing endorsements, but let's keep it real. If there's anything that you had to grapple with, I think that's valuable too. Yeah, I'm trying to think just because when you set a picture down in front of a kid, because I tend to use the I tend to use the visuals, I tend to use the auditory stuff. I don't, you know, with the newspapers, we're really just sort of looking at them. So I don't go into things with deep text. Um, the kids find the things very accessible. And so I haven't run into a ton of roadblocks just because they're so different and novel than what we typically do in, in reading the dense stuff that I haven't hit a ton of roadblocks. And if I do, if something sort of doesn't work, I just kind of, you know, back out of it. But really, I'm trying to think of a, of a time when it just, you know, I floundered. Um, you know, there's times when kids get, get way off on a, on a tangent that doesn't quite work and I have to keep bringing them back. That's the only time where they start to see, you know, the conspiracy theories or something with the, um, with the sources. But, you know, that's, that's not real. That doesn't happen a lot. Um, I, I really, finding the stuff in the Library of Congress is tough sometimes because there's just a million documents, literally. Um, but really, it's not finding the things, but sometimes I just hit Google, Library of Congress, and Zora Neale Hurston, or um, there's just ways around it sometimes when I can't find exactly what I'm looking for within the site, but even then I can kind of back out and use those search engines, and so it sort of works. Yeah, so Kelly, this is, this is Kathy. I, I have a question about um, what are some other places that your students go to get resources or that you and your partner teacher go to get resources? So just the, um, there's museums in Sacramento that have come and um, presented to us. Um, I don't know their exact name, because um, she's the one who put it all together. So we go to the archives in Sacramento because we have that resource right downtown. So when we're doing History Day, they go there. Um, just online at, at our, we have a good library at our school, so they use the library. Um, but really for History Day, we try to keep them you know, because we're talking about credible news sources and things like that. And I feel like the Library of Congress is curated. It, it you know, it kind of keeps that level of, um, we know these are valid documents. We know that these aren't doctored in any sort of way. So we really like to look for that Library of Congress. Because um, you can find these things in a lot of different places. But when you have that Library of Congress tag along with it, it just feels more authentic. And the kids don't have to worry as much about you know, really looking, is this valid? Is this, you know, is it doctored? Is it something like that? So you feel like you're in a more curated place with the Library of Congress. Great, thank you. So this is Cheryl again with, with one more question. Since we are here under the auspices of the National Writing Project, I'd really love to know what, if any, effect this has on your students' writing. How, do, how does it play in that so I, I touched on a little bit earlier, but um, what we do now when we have kids look at a, a set of documents is we'll give them a, a guiding question, a writing prompt. Um, you know, for like I was looking at for my March um, March on Washington questions um, that we gave the kids. It was something like, "What is the 
what's the true story of the March on Washington or what is often left out. Um, let me look right here. It says, um, what was the relationship between the media, the crowd, and the leadership that day? So we'll give them a guiding question, and then we just let them sink into the, into the documents for a while and do the observations, the reflections. And then at the end, they usually write some sort of argumentative piece where they're using this, these resources as evidence for their claims. And so it's, it's very much that analytical type of writing, that research report type of writing that we're having students do in preparation for, for college. I also work with the College Ready Writers Program within the National Writing Project. And that's what, that's what the CRWP has kids doing too, is, is really looking at source material. It teaches them to um, articulate and how to, how to work with a picture, how to write about that picture. Because um, it's different than writing, you know, quoting from something. You're having to describe a picture. And so it's teaching kids to be more succinct in their language, more concise. Um, it, just, it just gives them such a broader um, well to, to, to draw from in terms of how do we talk about material. Um, and the kids really are learning to be um, a, little more, a little more daring, I want to say, in their writing, because they have to make the claims. With textbook writing, they stay very safe. Um, they don't want to take any chances of being wrong. And with this stuff, they really are interpreting themselves. And so right and wrong, it's just more provable. What, what can you make a claim with and prove from the evidence? And I think that that's that critical thinking part of writing that comes in um, that we like to see. So um, there's just so many benefits to not having them read the textbook, to come to their own um, views based on evidence. It's that, it's that critical thinking that, that makes for good writing. Um, and, and, you know, there's no format, so we're not following a format. And so it's just, it's just asking questions and answering that inquiry-based sort of approach to writing. Um, it's just, it, it, it's so changed the way I teach that I don't even remember how I did it before. You know, it, it's just, I, I can't explain it. So I hope that, I hope that answered the question. That does. Thank you, Kelly. That's great. I have one last question, which is, um, what advice do you have to somebody just starting uh, to look at the library for resources? I would say find, um, find just pictures of whatever it is you're looking at, an author, um, a, a time period. The Dust Bowl is perfect. Uh, Japanese internment during World War II, um, have, they, have, they have rich resources surrounding that. Anything you're going to study with kids, just find some pictures use the tool and jump in um, because you'll be amazed at what your students will, will observe and see and, and, and the veracity with which they just jump into it. They love this stuff because it's not reading a textbook. Um, you put kids into groups, give them a set of documents and they will tear it apart. They'll just, I, I can't, every group I've ever worked with, I, I used to in my old job, I was a lead teacher. I'd go to different schools within our district. Um, every group of students I ever worked with from every socioeconomic status, every, everybody would just jump into this stuff. It's universal. Adults, kids, I've done a lot of PD with other teachers. Um, everyone digs in and wants to be doing this stuff. It, it's kind of like magic. It's, it's really weird. And Kelly, I think you have come up with the perfect ending. Uh, we are pretty much out of time, but ending with, it's pretty much magic. Everybody wants to dig in um, after your um, fabulous conversation about the amount of thinking that that these can extract 
Um, I want to thank you for joining me. I just really had a great time. Um, and I'm going to say goodbye, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us. Kelly, thanks so much for all the rich conversation. Thank you. You sparked my uh, interest again <laughs> to jump in. <laughs> And I just want to say thank you to Cheryl and Kelly for sharing so much tonight. This has been a really wonderful hour. Um, for our audience tuning in now and tuning in in the archives, I would like to send out a reminder that this is the first of a five-part uh, series that we're doing with National Writing Project. Our next session will be on making thinking visible and primary sources, which is part of what we do in our professional development program. That will be at, sorry, um, that will be at uh, four o'clock Pacific time, seven o'clock Eastern time on December 15th. So mark that down on your calendars. Hopefully you can join us live. Um, if not, you can look for us in the archives. Uh, more information is at educationinnovator.org. And I am going to turn things over to our hosts tonight at Educator Innovator. So thank you, everyone.